Kia ora, I'm Emil Donovan and today on The Detail. As long as there's been sport, there's been cheating. But some cheating is more creative than other cheating. You know, you've got the dopers. And so it is with a great amount of shame that I stand before you and tell you that I have betrayed your trust. Everybody had a stake in Lance being a success. And of course, anybody who accused him was deemed an enemy of the sport. Pumping themselves full of steroids and they're getting bigger and faster and stronger and it's all very unimaginative. And then you've got the outrageous cheats, the ones who hire hitmen to break their competitors' legs. Kerrigan was hit several times on the leg around the knee by what's being described as a club of some sort. Her assailant fled. And, of course, the ones who become autocratic presidents so they can dominate ice hockey matches. Vladimir Putin scored eight goals last night. <laughs> but last month, a cheating scandal rocked the world of chess. World champion Magnus Carlsen has directly accused a 19-year-old opponent, Hans Niemann, of cheating during a high-profile match earlier this month. So today on the podcast, we explain exactly how you might cheat at chess. The history and the risks and the rewards, as well as casting an eye over two other famous modern-day sporting swindles. Bill Forster is the president of the Wellington Chess Club and a former editor of the NZ Chess magazine. And I began by asking him exactly how one would cheat at chess. Well, for the first several hundred years of the game's life, basically you could not. But then people came along with computers and chess was a fascinating um, thing to combine with computers. It was the original AI, artificial intelligence, sort of research field. Can we make an intelligent computer? Well, maybe we'll use chess as a proxy for human intelligence. If we can get the computer to play a decent game of chess, maybe it's intelligent. So again, uh, it's not uh, a great challenge, but remember, it's a, it's a, it's a first program ever written before even computers that can run it uh, or invent it. And so that research started in the 1950s, right right at the beginning. Some of the real pioneers of computing. Alan Turing, he made the first chess algorithm. So he beat, beat the Germans in World War II with the Enigma machine. And then um, next thing he's working out the theory of how to play uh, chess with a computer. And so 1950s, 60s, 70s, 80s, all these decades go by and the computers are slowly getting up to be able to play about as well as a person like me by about 1985. So still not much use for cheating in chess. But from about the year 2000 onwards, they could probably play as well as any human player. Gary Kasparov, the famous world champion. He lost his uh, match against an IBM supercomputer. In the very first match of the tournament, he was pitted against a silicon monster that devoured him with the minimum of emotion and the maximum publicity. 
a lethal combination of chess genius software running on Intel's powerful new Pentium processor turned what was widely expected to be a walkover for Kasparov into the world champion's worst nightmare. And by the early 2000s, in consumer appliances, you could get programs that were better than any human player. And now in 2022, you can get programs that are much better than any human player running on your phone. So what you do to finally answer your question is you're playing a game of chess, uh, you're stumped, your, your poor old human brain is not up to the task of figuring out what on earth is going on and how to proceed. Um, if you have access to one of these programs, uh, you can put the position into the, into the program and ask the computer what it thinks of the position, and it will tell you what it thinks your best move is, and it will tell you whether it thinks you're winning or losing and by how much, and... These are fantastic tools when used ethically and properly for sort of studying your game or looking at the history of chess and looking at how well players played in great games of the past and comparing it with the best computer analysis of the present era. But, um, yeah, you really don't want people doing this while they're actively competing against someone else. Chess has been in the news because of a huge cheating controversy. It's almost been part soap opera, part who done it, and we still don't know all the answers. It's a scandal rocking the chess world. Wow, what a result. What wow. Growing allegations that 19-year-old chess star Hans Niemann has cheated his way through the ranks. If you don't know, there's this 19-year-old kid who's this chess prodigy, and he beat Magnus Carlsen, who's the number one player. This is a target attack, and if you look at my games, this is not, it's, it has nothing to do with my games. I don't pretend to be a, an expert on the life and times of Hans Niemann. He's, a, he's an interesting fellow. He, uh, two or three years ago, you would, even someone who's, who's deeply into his chess and following what's going on would not have heard of this guy. He's only a young guy. He's 19 years old. And he has been making something, something of an astronomical advance in his chess skill level. In three years, he's, he, he's progressed to the point where he's now a, sort of a top 100 player. And because he's advancing so fast, he's threatening to become a truly elite player in the top 10. In September of this year, Neiman played a match against the Norwegian Magnus Carlsen. He's the best chess player in the world, and he's considered by many to be the greatest chess player who ever lived. He's Federer, Djokovic and Nadal all wrapped up into one. He's an astonishingly good player, and for 10 years he's ruled the roost. And unlike those guys, he hasn't, he hasn't had a near competitor. There's been daylight between him and number two. So he was a guy who's basically an upstart who got an invite into this very prestigious tournament who was something of a controversial character, and apparently it was widely known in the chess community or in the elite chess community that this this new guy making huge progress had some form in the area of online computer cheating. I wanted to gain some rating. You know, I just wanted to get higher rated so I could play stronger players. So I cheated in random games on chess.com. Now, I was confronted. I confessed, and this is the single biggest mistake of my life, and I'm completely ashamed, 
other, when I was 12 years old, I have never, ever, ever, and I would never do that. That is the worst thing I could ever do, cheat in a tournament with prize money. To the shock of the chess world, Neiman beat Carlson in their match, but Carlson suspected something was afoot. He tweeted and he had he shared this video of um, controversial football coach. Um, what's the guy's name? It's Jose, Jose Mourinho. <laughs> yeah, he he shared this Mourinho shrugging his shoulders and saying, "I I I, I prefer really not to um, not to speak. If I speak, I am in in big trouble." in big trouble, and I don't want to be in big trouble. Left it at that, and so speculation and rumour-mongering were order of the day, and the chess drama continues till to this point. So, if Neiman did indeed cheat, and we should say this hasn't been definitively proven at this point, how might he have gone about it? Chess cheating, it, it sort of manifests itself in various ways. At low levels, it is literally people going into toilets and stuff. Online, it's a massive thing because really it's it's almost a different realm because it is so easy online. You're sitting at home playing other people on your computer in remote locations. It's sort of trivial, actually, to, to cheat online. But at elite tournaments, it's very... Um, rare or unheard of for there to be a cheating scandal like this because there are fairly serious security measures, as you said. Uh, They make a point of not tolerating it at all, uh, certainly, obviously, and also taking measures against it. And it's also rather difficult, you know, how, how do you do it? It's not completely unprecedented. It happens at reasonably high levels, at very high levels. Ten years ago or so, the French Olympiad team, believe it or not, were caught out cheating. And what happened there is, you know, you had their manager signalling, you know. Hmm. So the players are sitting at the board and the manager is comes and goes from the tournament room. He goes back to his hotel room puts the position in the computer, he, he, he's obviously attuned to the situation and he's looking for a critical situation where it really helps to get a bit of chess, yeah, computer assistance. Goes back and sort of, you know, touching his hair or <laughs> scratching his, his, his right, the right side of his nose or something and they've worked out a code. And so if Hans was cheating over the board, he would have to be doing something weird like that. Mm. Which is why I don't actually think he was cheating, to be honest. I think there is a quite imaginative theory that, um, how would you say this? Uh, that Neiman was in contact with someone who was who was inputting positions into a computer and was advising him of the best move through, let's say they were sending him signals via a vibrating device which was placed in a strategic location not immediately visible to the naked eye. People are speculating that Neiman could have cheated with the use of vibrating anal beads, which sounds ridiculous, but it went absolutely viral. Uh, People talking about it, people asking how he could have done it. Now, Emil, you know, actually, I, I do have detailed information on this that I can share with you. And actually, there is no such theory. I'm not faulting you because you really would think there was such a theory as a casual observer. Mm-hmm. But but what happened was that Eric Hansen, a Canadian chess grandmaster, he's a very playful, very fun young guy. 
And one day he was running one of his YouTube sessions and he was talking about the Hans thing and somebody in his chat used the, um, wait, I'm going to say the words, you might have to filter them out, but somebody made a joke saying maybe he has anal beads. And Eric, being the, the fun young guy he was, he picked that up and he ran with it. And he was only ever joking. Right. And the next day he came in with another YouTube video and he was he was loving the attention it got him because Elon Musk happened to see <laughs> a reference to this and Elon Musk tweeted about it as well. And the next day there were headlines in German newspapers and stuff acting as if this was a real theory. Uh, it never was a real theory. Only time will tell in this case. But the annals, if you will, of sports history are littered with athletes being busted using creative and very much illegal ways of getting an advantage. I asked RNZ sports reporter Clay Wilson to take us through one of his favourites, which involves the Australian cricket team. Go back four years, 2018. It's not the only incident of this, by the way, Mm. but it's the most well-known for people of of today's era. And it was that test series in South Africa. Of course, South Africa and Australia are, are great rivals oh, yeah. in, uh, in cricket, particularly test cricket. And the series is going on and there's a lot of interest in it, as there is anyway. And then comes an incident where the TV cameras catch what the, appears to be a yellow tape-like substance in one of the Australian fielders' pockets, in this fielder being Cameron Bancroft. And basically the television cameras of course it's in South Africa so they have a lot more interest in it than perhaps maybe if it was in Australia who knows but gets more and more interest and uh, and by the end of the day it actually questions are asked about it. Now TV footage as, a sh- as you see on the screens uh, shows teammate Cameron Bancroft taking a yellow object out of his pocket while fielding in the post-lunch session and appearing to rub it on the ball. Now, after being shown on the big screen, Bancroft appeared to hide the object in his underpants. It was later revealed to be a yellow sticky tape used to pick up abrasive dirt from the pitch. It's been charged by the International Cricket Council. And what Bancroft initially says is this little piece of thing he had was just a bit of tape. Mm. Turns out that wasn't the case and more footage comes out, more footage comes out, and eventually he's forced to reveal that it is, in fact, sandpaper. There's so many damning angles and the south africa australia series has been making news for all the wrong reasons and once again perhaps proof and confirmation that australia has been up to its dirtiest best through the series aussie opener cameron bancroft in the spotlight and the batsman is facing allegations of ball tampering after damning footage has emerged during south africa's second innings so the australians what they were doing is it's called ball tampering and as you say it has a rich history in cricket what is it so there's several ways to do this, but basically what it is, it's illegally changing the condition of the ball. Now the ball, when it's new, generally, depending on overhead conditions, will swing. But as the ball gets older, quite often the ball will stop to swing. And swinging the ball is advantageous for the bowling team because the more you can swing the ball, the more difficult, in theory, it is for the batters to handle. So you want the ball to, to swing. Definitely reverse swinging. That is a beautiful ball. Started just outside off time. It went straight for a little while and then quite a long way down the pitch it started to jag in and it went sharply. 
the basic scientific explanation for it is that if one side of the ball is smoother than the other, then the airflow passes more quickly down that side of the ball, and that causes the ball to swing more in the air. So if you have one side of the ball that's rough and one side of the ball that's very smooth, the more contrast there is, the more swing Mm -hmm. In theory, you should get. Yeah, the roughness causes more drag, and so the ball swings towards the rough side of the ball. Correct. So if you can have the ball doing this for longer in a more in a more pronounced fashion, then in theory it should be to your advantage. So this is why teams have done it, why the Australians chose to do it, and yeah, why teams have tried to get away with it throughout the years. You can scratch the ball with your fingernails. You can scratch the seam, which is obviously the thread that runs around the middle of the ball lift the seam up and make the seam more pronounced and that will also cause the ball potentially to swing a bit more. And of course you can shine the ball using, if you're a cricketer, you're outside, you wear sunscreen, you wear lip balm. Cricketers chew chewing gum. They might have there's a, a fa- famous yeah. incident with South African captain Faf Duplessis standing in the slip court and having a mint in his, yeah. min- mints in his mouth, sucking away on the mints, then putting the, f- the fingers in the mouth, taking a bit of saliva out, rubbing it on the ball. Of course that's Artificial, it's not your own saliva. There's something added to that. <laughs> Funnily enough, called Lollygate, this whole saga, you got caught for it and, and, and banned for it. Yeah. So um, there's multiple different ways of doing it, but the only way you're actually allowed to do it is use your own your own sweat yeah. and then and then rub it on your on your pants. Let's talk a little bit about Cameron Bancroft now, actually, because he was a young player in the Australian team at the time and he really bore the brunt of this, didn't he? Well, he's the one who we know of, who carried out this action, whether other players did it at other times, we don't know. But in this particular instance, he was the one that was had the sandpaper in his pocket and was clearly scratching the ball to change the condition of it. But he wasn't the only one banned. Mm-hmm. Steve Smith, the Australian captain at the time, David Warner, who we love here in New Zealand, <laughs> the vice captain at the time, they were both banned as well because they were effectively found to be involved in a there were discussions going on and at various levels were found to be responsible. Obviously, Cameron Bancroft, whether he was asked or he put his hand up to be the more inexperienced member of the team that was doing this or whether it was where he was fielding, it was you know, going to be less noticeable for him to be doing it in this position. He's the one that got charged with the responsibility of carrying out the act, but he certainly wasn't the only one responsible for it happening in the first place. Mm-hmm. And the band's show it up. Steve Smith lost the captaincy, David Warner lost the vice captaincy. They all got banned for 12 months, or Kim Bancroft maybe slightly less. It was a severe punishment. Like... Uh, and it was a massive fallout. I mean, people may remember, cricket fans will definitely remember the Steve Smith press conference, mm-hmm. the tearful press conference. I know I'll regret this for the rest of my life. I'm absolutely gutted. I hope in time... I can earn back respect and forgiveness. It was a huge, huge story, not just in cricket, but especially in Australia, in general news. I could talk about this for a lot longer. I think it's a fascinating story. The fact that it went down, how it went down, the audacity to do it in the first place, the the fallout in cricketing terms. In my cricketing lifetime, it would have to be a top three, a top five kind of story, really, um, for good or for bad. And the oval ball game isn't immune from this kind of underhandedness either. Jamie Wall, welcome back to The Detail. It's been a while. It's lovely to have you back. Oh, it's great to be back, Emile. Thank you for having me. You're going to be talking about one of the great modern rugby union scandals today. 
I wonder if you can please set the scene for us. When is this happening? Where is this happening? What is the context? Yeah, so this infamous incident took place back in 2009 in what was then the Heineken Cup, which is the European rugby championship where the English and Irish and Welsh and French and Scottish teams all play against each other. And it was involving a team called Harlequins, an English side, and an Irish side called Leinster. And it actually involved um, a New Zealander. Yes, it did. Bloke by the name of Nick Evans, who is kind of seen as one of the one of the ones that got away. Um, personally, I see him as a guy who just had the unfortunate luck of having his career coincide with that of Dan Carter. Mm-hmm. But he was playing for Harlequins, and he played a kind of role in this this thing. So. It all kind of comes down to the the somewhat confusing rules around who can be replaced on a rugby field and who can't. Indeed. But long story short, uh, Nick Evans had suffered a thigh injury. He was replaced. The guy who replaced him did his hammy 20 minutes later, and he was replaced by by a winger. And because, it, because Evans and the other guy were the first five and fullback and their goal kickers, it meant that Harlequins didn't have a goal kicker, and the game was pretty tight. And so what happened is they really wanted to get one of their goal kickers back on the field and they wanted Evans to come back. So what happened was a bloke ran out on the field and gave one of the players a, a blood capsule. It's obvious blood. And it's Tom Williams who's going off. Malone's gone off. Williams in trouble. And Evans about to come back on. He bit into it. And he had blood running out of his mouth. It looked ridiculous. And he said, "Well, we got." And then the trainer tells the tells the referee, "Well, we got another blood blood bin replacement, and we have to replace him." And so he went off, and Nick Evans came back on. And it was pretty obvious that something was up because you don't bleed from your mouth like that unless you've been shot in your lungs. At the time, Tom Williams had hardly been on the pitch. You're thinking, how did he get that impact? I couldn't remember seeing it. There was an awful lot of blood. And I also checked myself at the time, thinking, if you're going to say what you might say here, that is quite an accusation. The Leinster um, medical team immediately smelled a rat and and sort of went over to check on him to say, oh, is there anything we can do to help? And they ran him up the tunnel, and the Leinster medical team followed him, and they took him into a room and actually cut his mouth open like with a razor blade or something to to make it look like he'd actually cut his mouth um, open. Obviously, the whole thing was a complete, completely shambolic. Uh, it was really obvious what it, that they tried to cheat. And the governing body came down hard on them, so much so that the um, director of rugby, a guy called Dean Richards, used to play for England in the Lions. Um, he got he got fired. Um, the physio who'd, who'd passed over the blood capsule, um, she got fired. And the whole thing's gone down as as just a, a really ridiculous moment because, like I said, it was so obvious what was going on. And to me, the, 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 the funniest thing about it is just how much scheming would have gone gone into this whole thing. Mm. You know that someone at some point would have said, hey, I've got an idea. What if we just bring blood capsules to the games? <laughs> If we really need to, if we really need to do it, and then someone would have laughed at them, and then someone else would have said, "But seriously, that might that might be a good idea." And then it actually happened in a in a in a really important game. It's ridiculous. It's something you do on Halloween before you go trick or treating, and to see it play out in a professional rugby 
context is is just absurd. That's it for today. I'm Emile Donovan. The detail is public interest journalism funded through New Zealand On Air and produced by Newsroom for RNZ. You can get us downloaded free to your mobile device every weekday from any podcast platform. Today's episode was engineered by William Saunders and produced by Mark Jennings and Sarah Robson. And thanks to Bill Forster, Clay Wilson and Jamie Wall. Matewa. Matewa.